Hey, I'm Jodie, event manager, business owner, educator, and podcast host. I'm an introverted homebody, wannabe wine master, and I truly believe in the power of events to inspire, delight, and ignite human potential. Every week, I take you backstage into the wonderful world of business events and give you the insider scoop on how to take your events to the next level. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional custodians of the lands where we live, learn and listen. Let's get into it. Welcome to episode 15 of the Events Insider podcast. It's good to be with you today. Now, we have covered a lot of ground on this podcast. We've covered a lot of topics, but as we all know, one of the biggest expenses when it comes to events is the food and beverage. It's such a big part of an event and such a big part of our budget that we want to make sure we get it right. So I thought it was about time that we talk about food and beverage on the podcast and give you guys some industry insights and some expert tips. So I'm very excited to be joined today by Angelica Nora. Now, I met Angelica a couple of years ago as part of a business group that I was running events for, and she is just so passionate and authentic when it comes to all things food, beverage, hospitality. She started her career in 2007 when she started importing Prosecco into Australia, and she'll tell you a bit more about that. She knew nothing about the wine industry, but just decided to give it a go. And that was the beginning of Star Beverages, which is a wholesale import company, which then also became an online store called Direct Wine Sellers. So if you ever need to stock up on wine, you can head there. And then a few years ago, she turned this passion for wine and produce into a small restaurant in Surrey Hills in Sydney that focuses 100% on New South Wales produce and wine to make up for all the years of importing international wines. So she definitely has this amazing broad range of experience when it comes to food, beverage and hospitality. And she shares so many good insights and tips with us today. So I'm very excited for you to hear this chat with Angelica. Well, Angelica, welcome to the Events Insider podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have this chat. I feel like... Um, when I reached out to you, you were kind of like, yeah, what are we going to chat about? And I was like, there's literally so many things we can talk about, like food, mm-hmm. wine, hospitality, restaurants, private dining, sustainability, catering. Like there's literally so many areas that you have so much experience in that cross over to events. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Gosh, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, I've tried to keep it short. So we'll see how we okay. go. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Jodie. So for people listening, can you share a little bit about your kind of career journey and how you ended up importing wine and then owning a restaurant? I had a really weird career journey, actually, because I started my, I guess, career when I was about 16 and I lived in the USA and I was singing and acting in the US. Uh, Yeah, I know. A lot of people don't know this. And as I was there, I noticed a lot of people were drinking like Pinot Grigio and Prosecco. And I was like, what is this stuff? And obviously I wasn't allowed to drink it, but you know, just, I just kept seeing this trend and this wave. I realized I was never going to make it as a musician. I didn't really want to be living away from my family. So I left that industry, came home and my mom was like, well, what now? What do we do? And I was like, well, everyone's drinking Prosecco. And I was about 20 at this point. Everyone's drinking Prosecco. I think we should import Prosecco. Mom's like, what's Prosecco? I was like, I have no idea, but everyone's drinking it. Let's find someone. And as the universe would have it, we got basically handed a guy who was looking for an Australian distributor 
or Australian importer of his Italian wine. And I was like, Bob, do you do Prosecco? He's like, no, but we can. I was like, all right. He goes, find some Prosecco. I start importing Prosecco and failed forward. Didn't know what wet tax was or any of those things, but we failed forward. And now we're one of the biggest importers of Prosecco on the market. So that's wild. Uh, we got our little, if you've ever seen those gold bottles, we got them into Coles and we sell a lot of Prosecco to the market. And I guess that's kind of how my journey started. So we did about eight years of just importing Italian wine. And then as my knowledge in wine started growing, I started doing, you know, champagne and South African and Argentinian and Chilean and just wines from, I don't know, regions that I was finding really interesting. So yeah, just did that. And then it was 2020, you know, everyone's life changed, I guess, in 2020. But I met Dylan and I don't know, I was just feeling a little bit disheartened by the wine industry. I was feeling a little bit like my energy wasn't being used to the best of its ability. I don't know. It was a weird time, as everyone remember. And Dylan was like, hey, I'm thinking of starting this restaurant a small restaurant that only uses local produce and local wine. And, you know, what do you think? And I was like, you know what? I've never met a chef who can cook like you can. I've never tasted flavors like I've tasted from the food you do. Let's do it. So we started a restaurant. So my, all my knowledge in wine obviously used to, you know, create the wine list, which we kept 100% local, which didn't help my business at all, have a business at all. And yeah, we just, now I kind of swing between the two. I have reps on the road running Star Beverages and obviously the online store, Direct Wine Cellars. And I spend a lot of the time here in the Blue Door. Yeah, awesome. So for people that don't know, your restaurant is called The Blue Door and it's yeah. in Surrey Hills in Sydney. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about, I guess, the restaurant itself? Oh yeah, The, the Blue Door is a really unique concept. It's, it's all about connecting people back to their food. And we do that by visiting every farmer personally. And then we just share the farmer's stories as we go through the degustation that we do. The tasting menu changes every week just based on whatever the farmers have sent us. So it's that true farm to table experience. And it's super small. It's only 18 to, you know, if we're doing a private event, for instance, it'll be about 26 seats. But yeah, everyone who comes in gets an idea of what, sustainability means to us what local dining means to us what farm to table means yeah and we just have fun we're just having a lot of fun to be honest yeah that's so good and I can attest that it is an amazing restaurant so everyone definitely needs to go you just like the snack attack <laughs> <laughs> I love the snacks they're so good um yeah. but I think a lot of people that work in events you know have a bit of a passion for food and beverage as well there's such an alignment and food and beverage does play such an important role in a lot of events. What's your kind of, I guess, philosophy on food and beverage, but I guess more broadly on hospitality? Um, Look, this might sound controversial, but I always think people think bigger is better. And unfortunately, when you're feeding 100 people, the food is always a little bit lackluster because everything's in a water bath, ready to be served out. Um, You're working with, you know, and I'm speaking quite broadly, but you're working with staff who just do hospitality as a second job or third job um, and they're not as passionate about it they don't have the I don't know the innate career hospitality skills um, at that level right so for me I always think you know you can really impress customers and clients and stuff by doing something intimate and doing it more often than just doing this one big lavish event and to me if you're gonna do the one big lavish event make it a grazing style like you know, big tables full of grazing platters and 
stuff that doesn't have to be single serve on a plate because it's just it's always that thing to me that whenever I've been to big events always a thing that you remember you're like oh the food was a bit average but if you're doing like the grazing tables you know you go over to the sushi bar and you go to the oyster bar and you go I don't know it just feels a little bit more interactive a bit more fun um people get to eat what they want rather than having to eat this massive chunk of short rib or something that they just don't want or has no texture because it's been sitting in a water bath for five hours anyway um you know what I mean does that make sense yes and then like for me it's just like get the better beverage package like don't serve <laughs> me like I'm sorry but like don't serve the Murray River sparkling like just don't go I love like, that. you know what I mean like it's the thing that people are going to remember and yeah. You know, you can dazzle and razzle as much as possible and have this amazing event like that you've created. And then it's just so let down by the beverages and particularly the beverages, but, um, you know, the food as well. So I just think, how do you get creative with food um, if you're going to do it at that large scale? Uh, and how do you just make sure that the wine they're serving is not, you know, a sparkling wine from the hottest region of Australia? You know, doesn't make any sense. It just I love this. I love this. I'm sorry. It's true. I want to get to wine. I do want to get to wine, but I think you touched on a really good point around intimate and smaller private events because I do genuinely believe they are really powerful, particularly for companies, Mm. entertaining clients, looking after staff, that kind of thing. What are some of those kind of events that you guys have hosted at the Blue Door? Well, we kind of fall into this sustainable category, right? So anyone that has a sustainable message that they're passing through their businesses, they will find us and they'll say, we want to go to the Blue Door because it's it's in line with the message we're telling but, or whatever we're doing at this event. So we've had, say, the Green Council of Australia. They'll host um, events with CEOs of large building companies here to explain like how you can do like circular resourcing right like yep that kind of thing we've had oh mental health experts come in with um what do you call them like state dignitaries and yep. try and get funding like use our space as a nice dining experience um but they're actually out searching for funding from state government and stuff like that uh we've done winemaker dinners of course like a winemaker wants to reward their top 20 loyal customers and they'll come in here, they'll do a full, full, you know, pair an entire menu to their wine. So yeah, they're, they're the kind of things that we seem to fall into. Um, and then obviously, you know, we'll have venture capitalists with a small team that just want to come in and have a good time, drink whatever they want to drink. We'll let them BYO if they have better wine than us, we always say. Um, yeah. So those kind of things, but it's anyone that kind of falls into that. We're doing sustainable packaging we're doing sustainable carpets we're doing all that kind of thing they're the kind of people who find us to do a um, tasting menu or private dinner with or lunch of course yeah and that is such a big kind of movement in events as well is trying to be more sustainable in so many different areas and I know that's such a big part of what you guys do Mm -hmm. in an area I guess thinking about events that is traditionally there's a lot of wastage normally how do you think we can be more sustainable Oh, it's a big one. That's a huge question, isn't it? Uh, obviously, it comes to um, what are they using, making sure that there's no plastic and everything being used um, in the in the experience that you guys are having or the events having. But also, again, asking about the food because you know when you're having a 62 degree salmon fillet or some short rib that's been cooking for seven hours, there's a lot of sous vide plastic that goes into that. So you don't need to eat like how can we have things that are a little bit more fresher 
you know, it doesn't have to be this big rich meal that we're eating. How can we eat, you know, something that's fresher? That's probably the best way so that we're not using a lot of that plastic. Mm. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but yeah, that's a, ask the kitchen, like, what do you, what would be the most sustainable menu we can create? Anything with a sous vide is not going to be sustainable, just for the record. Also, for me, it's about where's the produce coming from? So asking the questions like, don't eat wild, I mean, don't eat farm salmon from Tasmania, right? Like we have local fish that we can source, you know, that's more sustainable. It's lion port, costs the same. Like people think it costs more to be, to eat sustainably. It doesn't have to, if you know the right people to buy your produce from. So yeah, asking like making sure the food's local. Are we flying things in? Because I think we think about all the plastic and all that kind of stuff, but we forget to think about air miles. And that's why I'm a massive fan of drinking local. Like, I'm, look, I'm the biggest champagne snob. I import wine and I get it. But when I go to events, I love drinking local because that's just no, you know, it doesn't have the kind of food miles or wine miles of eating, eating or drinking anything that's international. So that's probably a big thing for me in terms of sustainability. And I know it's like a bad thing to say, but time, <laughs> how do we like be more sustainable with time? So, I mean, Jody, you're an incredible event manager, but there's a lot of times that people will message us and they're like, hey, like we want to do this, but they actually have no kind of clear vision on what things are going to look like. So it's just this back and forward, back and forth. Like just get clear on what you want, what your message is going to be. And stop wasting so much time. Because I think that has, there's a, there's a, there's a sustainability piece in, the, in our time as well. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. It's an absolutely yeah. a good point. And I think, when it comes to like, obviously restaurants, we're so blessed in Sydney with so many restaurants, but I think sometimes the challenge can be when we need to find external caterers. Like if we're holding an event in a venue that, you know, isn't a traditional venue, it doesn't come with a caterer. I know one of the biggest struggles can be finding a caterer, a good caterer, Mm -hmm. because like there's so many options out there. I mean, full catering companies down to just kind of like a solo chef and that kind of thing. Like, but it's really hard to pick one, pick a good one, know that they're going to be good. Like, do you have any recommendations, I guess, around what to look for or even ask? I think asking like where they've worked before, making sure that the person you're using has actually got experience in the larger, uh, I guess, in the larger spaces, because, you know, we've had, we've seen things before, like before we had the blue door, we were doing private catering and, you know, people would turn up and start making bread at someone's house it's like come on man like you've got to get more organized like people who understand the scale of what they're doing will come completely prepped and they don't need to waste time making bread before an event like and you see them in the weeds and they're running around and it's like dude a good caterer is someone who turns up they turn everything on they pull all their mees out like all the mees like all the prep out and they're ready to go and you're like oh can i get you anything like no we're good you know and once you find that caterer you hold on to that caterer. <laughs> like we did an event at a palm house in the middle of, what was it called? The, the middle of the Botanic Garden. Botanic Gardens, yep. There was no lights. There was no kitchen. There was no water. There was nothing. And I was like, oh my God, how are we going to do this? We asked the event planner to buy a barbecue. And Jill was like, we'll make it happen. And we brought all our own plates. We, we, we made sure the menu had less cooked dishes on it. So everything was like cold dishes and stuff like that. So yeah, it's asking them like how many events of these kind of things have you done? How, now, where have you worked in the past? You know, what's your style of cooking? And yeah, I think once you latch onto a caterer who turns up and they're just prepped and ready, oh my God, do not 
do not let them go. Like <laughs> that's, the, that's the ones you want. hundred percent. And sometimes these veteran chefs who just do this private stuff now for fun, they're great because they've worked in 300 seat cover restaurants and they're just having fun now. They're happy to do your 50 and they're very, they're, they know what they're doing. So don't let age um, scare you either. Good tip. Good yeah. tip. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk wine. Mm -hmm. I know we're both very excited to talk about wine. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, from my experience, if I think back kind of five, 10 years ago, when I knew nothing about wine, hardly drank the stuff and I was planning events and you get sent a whole long list and it's super overwhelming. You have no mm -hmm. idea what to pick. And I guess, depending on the audience, you know, you might go and get help from someone else if it was really important, but for those of us that are planning an event where, you know, it needs to be good, we, we do want to impress people, but we've got no idea. Mm -hmm. What are some tips? What should we be picking? Well, again, controversial, stay local for your first one. Uh, stick to local because you can always trust that a, you know, Yarra Valley Chardonnay and a, a Hunter Valley Shiraz is going to be delicious. They're going to be easy, drinking, tasty. Um, the other thing, I know this sounds crazy, but Ask for alcohol content, right? So before you've even made your decision, say to the say to the venue, "Hi, can you just let me know what the alcohol content of you know this Pinot, this Chardonnay, this Cabernet, and this Shiraz is, and this Riesling? Just just let me know because the lower alcohol. I know this sounds wild, but bear with me. The lower the alcohol, the less kind of chance of like craziness happening during the night. You know, if someone's drinking eleven percent Riesling all night compared to a fifteen percent Shiraz all night you're going to see less people being a bit wild. And we know we don't want wild people at events these days because it's too dangerous. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's something. Always stick local um, and just have your favorites. So I always say like as a caterer, as an, as an event planner, you should be someone who does, who does drink, right? You should know what you like. So know that Pinot Noir and a Grenache will be light and a Shiraz and a Cabernet are going to be heavy or like, you know, a Barossa Shiraz and Cabernet are going to be heavy. Um, know that a Chardonnay could be buttery and you want a Riesling to kind of counteract that. So trying to choose your favorite so that whenever you get that list, you can go, you know what, I'm just going to stick to what I know until I know more. Remember that while you know more, most of the people going do not know anything. So you stick to your Riesling, your Chardonnay, your Pinot Noir, your Shiraz. Very easy, um, but will impress everyone, if that makes sense. Yeah. Always ask for alcohol level just to try and tone down the energy of the room let's put it that way I love that tip that's such a great tip yeah and I think sometimes look at these 15 and a half percent Shirazes that the people are putting on events I'm like what do you expect's gonna happen like you know people are gonna drink it and within two glasses they're completely wasted like let them sip on the 11 percent Riesling for a while you know so that's a that's kind of my thing but always drink local like let people discover something new like we all know Penfolds and we all know um we're aware and we all know these big brands like you know try and find little James Edward Chardonnay and and Mercer Montepulciano or something just something I don't know something fun but yeah that's really my tip so while you don't know anything stick to like you know Pinot Noir, Grenache is your light red, Shiraz, Cabernet is your heavy reds um you know, uh, Riesling Pinot Grigio is your light white and then your Chardonnay um, as a heavy white. Always have a nice bubbles. If it's not champagne, then make sure it's a Caltani, an Aris, a, um, a something that's, a, you know, known for being a sparkling in Australia, not just Morgan's Bay. Because if I see another Morgan Bay sparkling at an event, I will scream. 
um, sorry, I know it's controversial. I don't know who's who's going to hear this, but yeah, there. I don't know. We've got so many options. Like, why drink cheap? Just I don't know. Just I love that. And yeah, if I can add to that, there's such great advice. If I can add to that, if you are printing your own menus, do not put champagne if it's not champagne. Oh. <laughs> the not amount of times <laughs> I've seen that, and I am not even you know. <laughs> that crazy about it but um yeah that really frustrates me because then I don't get served champagne I will lose it I will literally lose it I find out who wrote the menu um I even send a photo to the bureau of champagne here in Australia and say these people are using the word champagne <laughs> yeah yes. no I'm but definitely I'm don't snob. do that I'm a bit of a snob I'm, with the word champagne <laughs> I'm curious with the varieties um what you think is kind of I know there's kind of friends come and go with wine and what's popular what are you mm-hmm. seeing, I guess, growing in popularity and what's kind of, I guess, going out of fashion a little bit maybe? Oh, it's so hard because I'm one of these people that want to push, the, like I want to like bring back Cabernet, you know? Cabernet is kind of really not in fashion at the moment, I think, because maybe our grandparents drank it. Or again, it's too heavy, but there's so many beautiful, light, delicate styles of Cabernet coming through right now. And I'm like, yes, bring back Cabernet. Pinot Noir will always, it's on the rise. We're going to start seeing a lot more alternate varieties popping up now as well, like Montepulciano, Sangiovese. People, uh, I guess, are sick of Pinot. They're looking for what else can they drink? So I think there's a real rise in that style, the alternate varieties, uh, either from Australia or from Italy, Portugal, Spain. Sav Blanc is so out. And it's quite sad. I know, I know you love your Sav, don't you? You love it. You love I'm it glad much. Pinot Noir is coming coming into the (laughs) forefront, but I'm very devastated that Sauvignon Blanc is not cool. Look, Marlborough style Sav, and look, look, I import it. So we're still seeing like pubs and everything just smashing through Sav, but, you know, in dining experiences, people just aren't drinking Sauvignon Blanc as much. Um, But then I'm loving Sauvignon Blanc because I love barrel fermented, skin contact, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's probably what's on the out. Chardonnay, buttery Chardonnay is coming back in frustratingly. People want the bigger, richer styles of Chardonnay. And there was something else, skins. So natural wine. I'm finding a lot more people walking in and asking for a skin contact wine. I don't know if it's because it goes really well with food, with the tannin structure in them, or people just associate skin contact with natural and people are a lot more conservative or concerned about their health at the moment. So concerned about like drinking chemicals. So they want to drink more natural wine. So I think, yeah, skin contact, minimum intervention, that kind of thing, that's really on the rise at the moment. Yeah, awesome. Um, if we're overwhelmed when we're looking at a menu, do you think we can trust the venue for a recommendation? Like when? Oh, my God. Ask the SOM. Yes, ask the SOM. Who would have thought the SOM might know something? I actually get really frustrated when someone's like, oh, I don't know what to drink, rah, rah, rah. I was like, oh, just tell me what you like. And I'll find you something. Oh, no, I'm very specific. I was like, okay, tell me what you like. Like, this is what our job is. Yep. You know, a sommelier's job is to find you something that you like and to sell you a wine. Ask the Somme. And honestly, I think you'd be fine if you said to the Somme at the venue, hi, like, look, this, this wine list, I've never heard of any of these. We're looking for a nice, bright, salty white wine. We're looking for a, you know, soft red or, you know, you know the menu. Can you give us some wine to go with it? Here's our budget. The Somme would be like, thank you, because there's nothing that breaks my heart more than when, Someone walks in, they won't trust me with the wine and they'll order a cabernet to go with our beautiful first course of fish. <laughs> and you're like, no, like this is going to kill the dish. But if they just listen to me, I would get them something. It could be a red, but I'll find you a red that goes with this fish, you know? <laughs> so yeah, feel free to ask the song. They should, they should know what they're doing and they want to be, they want to work. They're not, 
they're not there just to you know stand around <laughs> yeah so, and we obviously yeah. take into consideration what the food is like you've just mentioned how much should we think about who the guests are I mean one of the big things that I always talk about when you're planning an event is really drilling down on who's coming who they are what they like and plan the event for them mm-hmm. but I'm very aware when picking I guess food and beverages to not make assumptions but at the same time it's like well we sort of need to think about who the people are so do you think we can still sort of make assumptions based on who's coming as to what we should be selecting that's a really good question I I think food wise you can my biggest thing for this would be don't underestimate people. I think people go, oh, no one knows anything. Like, oh, this is a bunch of politicians. They don't know anything. Or this is a bunch of, they don't know anything. Don't ever underestimate the guests because you don't know how well packed their cellar is, how much they eat out. You'd never underestimate them. So I think a lot of people go, oh, no one cares about the wine. Just put whatever. Just because you don't care about it. Like I say to the, the guests, like the person who's organizing it, just because you don't care about it doesn't mean the people that are coming won't care about it. And I always think that a lot of people and a lot of event planners as well, they'll actually plan events around what they like rather than actually considering, like you said, who's coming and what do they want, you know? And I think that's a big thing. If you can actually curate something where someone goes, wow, like that just felt like that event was just for me. They're going to come back to you over and over again. They're going to remember you. So yeah, I just think don't ever underestimate people. That's, that would be my biggest thing. Yeah. So know who you're talking to. Don't ever underestimate them. Yeah. I love that. And yeah. uh, a personal question for you. What's your mm. favorite wine at the moment? Uh, it's like asking who's my favorite child. Um, <laughs> gosh, what's my favorite wine? I'm loving Sangiovese. Oh, same. Yes. Yep. Sangiovese is my, I don't know. It's just a go-to at the moment. And also Grenache. Man, okay. I'm bringing back Grenache. I'm enjoying like so much of the New South Wales Grenache, which, you know, any good thing about climate change is we can finally grow Grenache here in New South Wales. Um, <laughs> really loving it. Um, and also like a white wine that it's, I'm just loving at the moment is Viognier. I'm like oh, really yeah. going back to like really bright apricot driven Viognier. But I'm studying my diploma at the moment. So wine is just, it's an evolution for me. Mm. <laughs> if uh, what my favorite is at the moment is definitely going to be completely different in two months time, I think. Yeah. But that's the yeah. world of wine, I guess. It's a fun mm. Fun world. If you could sum up all of your years, I guess, in hospitality and around food and beverage into one piece of advice for people that plan events, what would it be? Just remember it's hospitality. You know, this is for people. We're doing it for the people. It's not about us. That would be my biggest piece of advice because the amount of times I'll see a wine list that's written, you know, for the Somme. I see a menu that is 100% for the, for the chef, they have nothing. Like they don't care about the customer's experience of eating it. That would be my biggest thing. Remember it's hospitality. It's about people coming in and feeling like they're at home in your venue and at your event. And yeah, just remember it's about them, not about us. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Jodie. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Events Insider podcast. If you loved it, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, share with your friends, and I'll chat to you next week. Bye.